Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.com or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear friends. This is Pastor Visser from Covenant People's Ministry. And today I would like to study Psalm 70. So turn there in your Bibles if you've brought one. Psalm 70 is a psalm of David. And in this psalm we see how God should be magnified. This is how you and I as Christian soldiers should view God. How we should want God to be glorified down here on earth as it is in heaven. David begins in verse 1, he says this, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Yahweh. So, how many times a day do you call out to Yahweh? How many times do you lean unto Him for understanding? Well, David did it continually, and there's so many psalms that prove this. David says here, Make haste, hurry, Yahweh God, to deliver me, to help me in all times, especially in times of trouble. Verse 2. Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. And we know many places in Scripture, Yahweh God says He'll do this, that He will reward every person according to their own works, their own desires. So... If we're wicked, we will receive an unrighteous reward. And if we're righteous, we will receive one that's fitting for us. But we should see and focus in on the fact that David wanted his enemies to be ashamed, to be confounded. Now, we should know as Christians, there are people out there who seek our soul. And for David, it was no different. And that's the reason why he says, let them be ashamed. Let them be confounded. Why? Because they seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion. Because why? Well, they desire my hurt. The word of God says, touch not mine anointed. David was a man after Yahweh's own heart. And therefore, David could pray this prayer in faith, knowing that it would be answered in due time. Next verse. Verse 3 in Psalm 70. Let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, Aha! Aha! And so we see here that David wanted his enemies, his detractors, the detractors more specifically against his God, to be put to shame, to reap what they sow, to be turned back and receive a what? A reward of shame. Why would these particular detractors be ashamed? They'd be ashamed because they sat there mocking and taunting David. They were the type of people that were on his every move, no matter what it was. So that the very second that David did anything that could be construed as a violation, they'd say, aha, there he is, let's get him. 
We see this overlaid within the life of Christ. We see this overlaid within our lives as well, dear kinsfolk. For there are many people out there that say, Aha, look there, Pastor Visser's having problems. Let's rejoice. We're not supposed to rejoice at a brother's calamity. There are imposters out there. And we should notice that David's desire isn't feel-goodism. He's not saying, well, let them repent, Yahweh God. Let them come to you. Let them do all these things. David's asking and requesting Yahweh God to make his enemies ashamed, turned backwards, put to confusion anyone that would seek after his soul, meaning mislead him. And therefore, we should do exactly the same. Don't be afraid to pray, dear kinsfolk. Prayer is not some set of vain repetitions. Prayer is between you and Yahweh God, and you can make known your requests to Him. You also can pray in the same, similar manner. This is an exaltation. This is a praising of God from David. And David's saying, let my enemies be a reproach. Let my enemies reap what they sow. So... At times in your life, dear kinsfolk, you may find yourself needing to pray. Let my enemy's life get so hard that they have no other option but to wake up in the gutter. Why? Because they'll have no other choice but to turn to Yahweh God. That's the Christian mindset. Verse 4, David continues. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. And let such as love thy salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. David wanted God to be magnified, meaning praised continually. David knew, and there were so many psalms where David would say, When I wake in the morning, I look to the heavens and I pray to Yahweh God. I will keep my thoughts fixed on Him and His law. Why? Because if I don't, I will fall. David was a just steward. David knew the law and therefore was wiser than all of his instructors. And therefore, it will be no different for you and I, dear kinsfolk. If you know the law and you know the morality of God, then chances are pretty good that you know more than the average Judeo-Christian preacher out there. A Judeo-Christian preacher learns what they learn in seminary, and the very first thing they learn is this, that there is no infallible word of God. They're taught that this book is a book of allegories, and it's not to be taken literally. And they, in turn, teach their flock as such. And what they raise up is a faithless generation. Don't be like that faithless generation. Don't be like those who engage in gossip and slander and say, Aha! Those are the very people that David wants rebuked. The very people that a genuine son of God would want rebuked as well. And so Psalm 70 is rather short. It's only five verses, and the final verse says this, But I am poor and needy, Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and my deliverer. O Yahweh, make no tarrying. Notice what David's doing here. David is consulting Yahweh first. Therefore, he's saying, I'm poor, I'm needy. Make haste. Hurry, God. You are my help. You are my deliverer. What is the opposite of a helper or a deliverer? It would be a hinderer or a deceiver. David could differentiate the two. It is the way a man to come along when things get too hot for him to handle and pray to God. For example, disaster. For example, when things don't go too well in that particular person's life. When their wife leaves them. When they find themselves in jail for doing criminal acts. That's when they turn. That's when they pray to God. But not David. Oh no. 
David was praying to God here first, before he even had need. First, David was meek. David was humble. David said, I am poor and needy. And we know David was never truly poor in that sense of the word. When he was a youth, he was spiritually rich. And when he was an adult, he was both physically and spiritually rich. David's saying he's poor and needy because he needs his God. Because he's a man. And he recognizes that man cannot do anything without the help of God. Oh, there's men out there who do. There's people within Christian identity who attempt to carve their own road time and time again. They think that they can work out their own salvation somehow without fear and trembling, but by their own works. When it requires seeking the face of God and reverencing His commandments. This is what David's saying here. He's proclaiming to you, let God be magnified continually at all times. And so it should be no different in your walk. You should seek and strive to have God magnified within your life, within your community, and so forth. And so always be sure to seek Yahweh God. Why? Because David says right here, let all those that seek Yahweh rejoice and be glad in Him. And let such as love thy salvation say continually, God be magnified. That's verse 4 of Psalm 70. But the way of the natural man is to not do that. The way of the natural man is to not seek salvation. Why? They don't believe in it. That's the way of mankind, dear kinsfolk. They walk around down here on God's green earth and they say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the devil. I don't believe in angels. As if that somehow makes them any less real. Oh, indeed, it's the way of man to say that I don't believe in something, therefore I'm somehow safe from God's judgment. Consider the aspect. The way of man is to say, well, I don't really believe in God, therefore it doesn't matter. But does it matter in the day of judgment, dear kinsfolk? Yes, it does. The way of a natural man is to not seek salvation because they do not believe they have anything to be saved from. So they don't say continually, let God be magnified. What it is is a spirit that's lifted up. Many people who profess Christianity are lifted up in spirit. They don't have the proper spirit. They're either on one side where they're natural men anyway and they're just Sunday Christians. They sin six days out of the week and repent on Sunday or they're the extreme the other way and they take this sola scripture of the word of God, the letter of the law and they never understand the spirit behind that. That, my friends, is what the Levitical priesthood was supposed to exercise. They were given the law so they could exercise the law, but there were variations and graces within that law that extended to the spirit of the law. This is the reason why we must have two witnesses for every matter to be established. Now, this gossip that you listen to, dear kinsfolk, if you are one of those, is it established by two witnesses? Or is it the insane ramblings of a lunatic? It's most likely the latter, because there's a lot of that. There's a lot of dissension within the ranks. Some can't preach, and therefore they want to attack those who can. Some believe all Israel is saved, some do not. Some believe in universalism, some do not. No matter what it is, dear kinsfolk, there will always be wars and rumors of wars down here. No matter what dogma, no matter what tradition it is that man want to murder each other over, or seemingly bicker continually over, 
It does not change the fact that God's word is fixed. It does not change the fact that this word as we hold it, at least here, the King James, is in excess of 600 years old. The manuscripts are even older than that. A wise man, by default, would put more stock in these verses of antiquity over the modern spurious interpretations of men, over political correctness, over modernism, liberalism, over what the world comes along and says you must do now, dear kinsfolk. And in my life I've seen this. Man is swayed by every wind of doctrine, whether that doctrine be in the church or whether that doctrine just be in the general world. Mankind are lemmings. Mankind, for the most part, like sheep, are followers. But that's not the way David was. That's not the way the true prophets of old were. And that's not the way Jesus Christ was. All of these examples fought for truth. Many of them died for that same truth. So you can have salvation. So you can have the word. And for the most part, the average man will just sit in his easy chair watching Monday night football and not even care how many people died for this word in this rebuilt Babylon we're living in now. Don't make that mistake. Always be grateful, not to man, but to Yahweh. Be grateful for his word. Could you, as a Christian, imagine a life without this Bible, without this word? I couldn't. The natural man doesn't care. But a true Christian can never know the thoughts of the wicked we're not even supposed to attempt to understand their thoughts. Why? Because we can't know them. One is of the spirit. One is of the flesh. The flesh man can't think spirit thoughts. Therefore, all they think is wickedness, perversion. Most oftentimes, even if they're just your average Joe Schmo, your average Joe Sixpack, but the spiritual man, the spiritual man knows morality. The spiritual man will fight for that same morality. So always fight for the truth. This is what King David did, and this is what Solomon did. Do you want to be a disciple, friends? Then you must be disciplined in this word. You must be disciplined in the ways of Yahweh. Now, to verify what it is that I'm saying to you, we should now turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. That is, Paul's epistle to the Romans, beginning in chapter 8. It says this in verse 1. There is therefore now... No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, this is how we know who is in Christ, who is a true Son of God. A true Son of God has no condemnation. Why? Because they have the grace of Jesus Christ. But a true child of God does not walk after the flesh. They don't trust in the arm of the flesh, if you will. But after the Spirit, everything must be done according to the proper Spirit. Notice here that in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Spirit is personified. It's capitalized. Meaning that a true child of God walks after, goes after, and seeks out God. More specifically, the spirit of truth in all matters, especially pertaining to this word. Continuing on in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Did Paul say that the law is done away with or no? 
Did Paul say he was free from God's law? Oh no, indeed. Paul said he was free from what? The law of sin and death. Meaning he will not die a natural man's death because he seeks the spirit as a true Christian would. The law of the spirit of life in Jesus makes him free from the law of sin and death. Now, the Old Testament law was just that. The Old Testament law had statutes and ordinances. For example, if man sinned, they could go and give X amount of turtle doves. They could sacrifice X amount of lambs and bullocks, and their sins would be forgiven by Yahweh God. But not so under the New Covenant, dear friends. Under the New Covenant, we have grace. And Jesus Christ fulfilled that part of the law. Those traditions, those statutes. The morality still exists because a violation of that same morality is a transgression of the law, meaning it's sin. What do you want to be forgiven for, dear kinsfolk? If the law is done away with, then Christ can't forgive your sins. But not to digress. Next verse. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Now, Jesus Christ had victory over death. That's how he proved he was God manifest in the flesh. But all flesh is sinful. That's the reason why all men are born into sin. And so God saw fit to send his own son personified, his own image in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Now he came for sin. And I want you to focus in on this teaching. Many out there will come along and say, we killed Jesus Christ as if our sins somehow murdered him. It's a Catholic teaching. They say that all of our sins are the reason why he died because Jesus Christ died for sin. And I say unto you, dear friends, that there's an extremely big difference between dying for sin and dying because of sin. Our sins did not murder the Son of God, dear kinsfolk. But Jesus Christ, through his grace, through his love, and through his perfect example, laid down his life as a perfect example acceptable and atonable sacrifice for one and all times so man no longer has to sacrifice those same pigeons and turtle doves verse 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit now Paul's saying here that he doesn't walk after the flesh and he only seeks after the spirit as a genuine son of God would that's the reason why in verse 1 he says there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus because they don't walk after the flesh. They walk after the Spirit. So here's your second witness and here's what you should strive to do. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. That is completed, not done away with. Fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And so once again you've heard me preach it. There is the spirit of the law, and there is the letter of the law. And it's up to you to know the difference. Why? Next verse. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, what you seek out in life eventually defines and becomes who you are. If you walk according to the flesh, that is, after the vices or the lusts of the flesh, then that's all you know. That's all you mind, that's all you have in mind, therefore that's all you can do. It's basically be on the level of a natural brute beast. 
knowing no more than an animal but to eat, sleep, and procreate. However, there is an escaping of all of that. That's seeking after the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit that will lead you into all truth. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Notice the difference. Not only do the spiritual defeat death, because Christ says, Whosoever believeth in me shall never taste of death. Not only do the spiritual men, women, and children of God overcome death, but they have life. And not only life, they have peace. So let's break this down and analyze this quickly before moving on. The carnally minded is what? What do they inherit? One thing. Death. Now, the spiritually minded, what do they inherit? Two things. Life. But added to that life is peace. So if you want to know peace, if you want to know perfect peace that surpasses understanding, dwell within Jesus Christ. David did. Paul did. They were overcomers. They fought for the cause. And they're considered saints. Next verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That's hatred, dear kinsfolk, stopping right there. The carnal mind, the mind of a natural man who doesn't know God, is hatred towards God. That's the way God hardwired it. So if we are not in the spirit, we're opposed to God. More specifically, those that do not dwell within Jesus Christ hate God. There is no gray area. The way of the liberals to come along and say, well, I believe if you live a generally good life and do good acts, it doesn't really matter what religion you believe, you'll go to heaven. This is what they believe. Nowhere is that found in Scripture. Scripture straightforwardly teaches you either are of the sheep or you are not. You either are sealed and chosen or you are not. You either are a true genuine son of God that is wheat or you are not. You are a tear. So understand this. This is why there is no gray area with scripture. The carnal mind is hatred against God. Continuing on. For it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be. It's not subject to the law. This is the reason why many people in judgment day, that day of the Lord, are simply blotted out. They're simply removed. God doesn't want to forgive their sins. And this is confirmed in the New Testament. Many times God didn't want a certain people hearing. So they would not repent. And Jesus would have to heal them. Why? Because that was not their purpose. Their purpose perhaps was to be a false prophet to mislead. So you could strengthen your own walk with Jesus Christ. Their purpose perhaps is to be a murderer. So that you could go through turmoil. And become closer to God. There's so many examples I can give you. But man doesn't know the will of God. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away indeed. But we should always be praising God every day. Do not be carnal. Because you no longer will be subject to the law. And so out there in Judeo-Christianity, they come along and act as if the law is the offense. They say, well, I'm freed from the law. I don't have to follow the law, but the law is not the offense. They're simply not subject to the law of God. You want to be subject to the law of God, dear kinsfolk. Why is that? Because even though not one person down here can keep the law 100%, 
at least we have grace. We can be forgiven. How? Through Jesus, of course, and through his blood. But through the acknowledgement of that same said law. Simply acknowledging that God doesn't want you to eat something is good. Man, the carnal man, the natural man, doesn't even have that. How can I say that? Verse 8 in Romans 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that dwell continually in the flesh, the natural flesh man, the man who seeks to please his flesh continually. He cannot please God because he's not in the spirit. And if he's not in the spirit, he's not in the truth. And if he's not in the truth, that same man is a liar to both God and man. So, always cling to God. Always seek his face. It seems like such a simple teaching but one that needs to be reiterated time and time again. Because I've seen the sheep, they take truth, they study, they fellowship with you for a while, and then they go out there and they wonder why they're having problems in their life. Never seeking God. They seek answers here. They seek answers through man's law or man's courts. They never seek answers through God. So if you, as a Christian, are able to do that, first and foremost, seek God, above everything else, you'll be doing well. Next verse. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You either are, or you are not. You are either in the body of Christ, or you are a natural man within your own flesh. You either are saved or are not. You either are chosen or are not. I've said this already in today's study. But here it is reiterated again in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermon, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, where you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that has been renewed in His Holy Spirit, so we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build his church so that when he returns, he will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Many people go to a Judeo-Christian church and they're told God doesn't know what you do. They're told that God doesn't really care how you live, and they're actually misled from truth. So reevaluate those churches you may be going to, dear kinsfolk. If they're teaching you such tripe that is contradictory to what we're covering, perhaps you should simply go and start your own church. Verse 10. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. What's Paul saying? He's saying that if you believe that Jesus Christ overcame death, that he resurrected and sits at the right hand of Yahweh God, 
then you had best believe he will do the same exact thing for you. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells within you, what is that? The spirit, Yahweh God, and or the Holy Spirit. He that raised up Christ from the dead, who's that? That same exact spirit. That same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Next verse. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. What's he saying? Paul is saying that you as a Christian need to have control over your flesh. Every bit of your body, whether it be your tongue, whether it be your mind, whether it be your muscle, all things must be brought under subjection. He taught this time and time again in numerous epistles. Bring your flesh into subjection. If you are able to bring your flesh into subjection, then you also will be able to withstand the tempter when the tempting comes. And this is what he's saying here. If you live after the flesh, you're going to die. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. The flesh-based man, the natural man, doesn't know the law. And if he doesn't know the law, then he cannot define sin. If he cannot define sin, then he dwells within sin. Meaning, the wages of sin is truly death. This is the reason why he says in verse 13, you live after the flesh, you'll die. But if you live after the Spirit, you'll live. And not only that, you'll live with peace, as he promised. Verse 14 in Romans chapter 8. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's your Israelite right there. Now, we can debate time and time again, but Jesus Christ taught no different. And Paul here gives a second witness. He says, as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, if you want to be a son of God, the only way you can truly achieve that title is to be led by the Spirit. And the only way to be led by the Spirit, which is truth, is in the truth, which is the Word of God. But always remember, if you want to be a true son of God, you must be led by by the Spirit of God. Verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we cry to our God for all things, and in all things, because we're not bound to the bondage of the flesh. This is why we must bring our flesh under subjection. If it's not subjected, then we become a servant to our own flesh. And we're bound, held in bondage to ourselves, to fear. But if we have the spirit of Yahweh God, then we have the spirit of adoption. Not grafted in, but we're adopted as a spiritual son of God. Then you are both a physical son of God and a spiritual son of God. Then, and only then, can you be pleasing to Yahweh God. Verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, you don't hear that taught behind the modern church, do you, dear friends? But the reality is, is as a true Christian, you should want to suffer for Christ. You should want people to despise you, cast you out of their company, and speak evil of you. 
That doesn't mean you should go out and be a nuisance, but your general mindset should be, thank you. How can I say that? Because Jesus Christ said, blessed are you when men revile you, when they separate you. Blessed are you. That's how you heap blessings. And so it's no different here. If we're children of God, both spiritually and physically, then we're also heirs, heirs of God. We inherit a portion like the prodigal son. Oh, indeed, Israel will inherit their lot. And that is to be called again the sons of God, to be ruled over by an ever-living and an ever-loving God. So strive to be a joint heir with Christ and suffer for his name. Verse 18. For I, Paul speaking, reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now Paul also is humble here. He's saying, yeah, I've suffered, and indeed Paul did suffer. But he's saying that his suffering is nothing when compared to Jesus Christ. He's saying that his suffering is nothing compared to latter generations that will suffer under the yoke of this word. So earlier in this study, when I told you that many people died for this Bible to translate it, and the average Joe Sixpack doesn't care, that's the reason why I brought it up. Paul says the sufferings of this present time, the time that he lived in, weren't even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, in both future generations and in judgment of Yahweh God. Next verse. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. So understand that all creation yearns to know who the sons of God are. Many sons of God out there can recognize one another. It's as if they can walk into a room and spot each other from a distance. The natural man doesn't recognize that because they don't recognize the spirit that can't dwell within it. But we want to be glorified. We want to be found righteous, usable, meek, humble, and all of those things for Yahweh God so we can receive a full reward. So all creatures are made subject to the laws of God. Now, the natural man says the law is done away with, but when he walks, the law of gravity is still very much in effect. Is it not? Oh, indeed it is. And Yahweh God created that same gravity. When they breathe, the law of nature and the law of photosynthesis is to say that they have fresh oxygen from those trees that God created. Does it not? Oh, indeed. But they take these things for granted. Don't make that mistake. Why? Next verse. Verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. The creature. All of God's creatures are subject to vanity. Hypocrisy, if you will. To be a nemesis to God. We have that hardwired within us. Vanity. The ability to be lifted up. This is what Satan fell for. This is why scripture says many people become vain in their own imaginations and rebuild Babylon. They become vain because they cannot be corrected. They cannot be used. The creature was made subject to vanity, not because he chose it, but because God did. And also a reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Next verse. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so in Isaiah and other books like that, where it talks about the lion laying down with the lamb, the fact that there are animals in heaven should not confuse you. 
That's not to say that heaven is overrun with every single pet you've ever had that's died in your lifetime. Or is it? Mankind doesn't know the will of God. They don't know the power of God. But the natural mind that man possesses through his own vanity will lift him up to say that he somehow does. Remember that Yahweh God says what you ask in faith you shall receive. It really boils down to that. Next verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not they only, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. So, a genuine Christian would yearn to know God, yearn for God's leading in all things. A genuine Christian would do just that. But here we see that those that are led of the Spirit groan, if you will. They hasten the coming day of the Lord because they know they cannot do it themselves. They know it's a great day. It's the day in which the Zadok, the chosen of God, cash in their chips. But not for the natural man. The natural man goes to the lake of fire. The natural man is blotted out. That's really Yahweh's dominion. But whatever it is, the natural man does not receive what the spiritual man does in judgment. And why is the spiritual man saved in judgment? Verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? And this ties right perfectly into what Jesus Christ said. Blessed are they which have not seen and believed. It's easy to believe in something you see. The natural man can believe in a tree. He may not believe that God created that same tree, but he can believe that tree because he sees it. Is that faith? It's not faith at all. It's faithlessness. In order to have faith, we must believe in the things that we quote-unquote cannot see. Now, on the same token, a Christian can see God everywhere because they are spiritual. Therefore, when they walk in nature or they even walk in the city, they're able to see God's influence in all things. The natural man cannot. So we are saved by faith. We're saved by the grace through Jesus Christ. But we ourselves save ourselves through faith above everything else, above racial pedigree, above theological doctrine, above all of those things. None of those things matter as much as faith to Yahweh. Oh, indeed they matter. And don't go and misquote me and say, Pastor Visser says you don't have to follow the law. Or, Pastor Visser says you don't have to be an Israelite. I didn't say that. I said that faith is more important than those. Hope. Having hope in God. Next verse. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What's Paul saying here? That the Spirit itself within him leads him into what to pray for. The natural man doesn't know what to pray for. Even the Christian who doesn't truly know the Holy Spirit can be misled in the act of prayer. Only with that spirit of truth dwelling within you can it make intercession for you. Can it make groanings that you can't utter as a man. It can lead you into the proper path and it can tell you what to ask for. 
Next verse. And he that searcheth the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That is Jesus' place. The Spirit of Truth is to make intercession. Understand that the name of the devil is the accuser. That's what he does. Jesus Christ, if you will, is considered an intercessor or a lawyer. And so the two are diametrically opposed. You can either be a child of one or a child of the other. If you want to be a child of the natural carnal mind, then go ahead and follow Lucifer. Reality is, is you'd be better off following Jesus Christ. Why? Because he makes intercession for you. You can't do it on your own. You can work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it'll keep you in this word. And if you stay in this word with trembling and reverence and fear, then you'll figure the rest out. But if you don't take that first baby step, shudder to think. Next verse in Romans chapter 8, that's verse 28. And I'm sure you've heard this verse many times, dear friends. It says this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, did Paul say everything works out for the best for everybody? No, he doesn't. Does Paul say whatever's to be is to be, so let it be? Oh, no, indeed he doesn't. But what he does say is that all things work together for good only to them that love God first and foremost and to them who are the called according to his purpose. You can love God all you want. You can believe God all you want. But if God does not believe in you, meaning calling you according to his purpose, you're simply out of luck, friend. That's how it is. That's the way God designed it. And so don't be shocked by this statement. The Judeo-Christians will quote this out of context time and time again, never understanding that Yahweh God only turns the bad to good for the called. Not for everybody. And so strive to be called, dear kinsfolk, because this is exactly what it's about. Predestination, foreknowing, and the next verse confirms that. It says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to conform to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, here's your teaching on predestination, and it's taught in numerous other places in Scripture. But Yahweh God knows whose are his. Jesus Christ says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow. Meaning Jesus Christ knows who his sheep are. Why? Because they follow. They seek him out. First and foremost, they take that first step. So we must do the same exact thing. Whom Yahweh God foreknew, he also predestinated. That's you and I, dear kinsfolk. He knew you before he placed you in your mother's womb. Why? Because he knew you in the spirit. And that's what this entire discourse today is about. The difference between the spirit and the flesh. They're diametrically opposed. You can dwell within one or you can dwell within the other. But you can't have both. Unless you bring your flesh under subjection so the Holy Spirit can dwell within it, you'll have a house divided, and a house divided cannot stand. Verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Question. If God be for us, who can be against us? The answer to that, dear friends, is nobody. And that's why this is a proverbial question by Paul. If God is for us, then nobody can be against us. It doesn't matter. And notice he says this on the tail end of talking about the Zadok, the sealed, the chosen. And the fact that all things work together for good for them. So, 
even something that may be considered bad in the world's eyes, God can turn it to good. And I've seen this numerous times. For example, look at my current detractor. All he does is become amused to me. Oh, he sits in his one little corner of the internet and he cries and he whines about Pastor Visser this and Pastor Visser that. And you know what that does? It inspires me to preach more. And when I preach more, I have more sermons, I go further out and more people hear me. Yahweh God can take bad things, if you will, and turn them to good if you're called. But he will not if you're a carnal man. So don't make that mistake. Verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Touch not mine anointed, saith Yahweh God. Oh, they can sit out there and they can clack their tongues. Oh, they can sit and bear false witness all they want, but the reality is their devices will not stand. They can't destroy a true child of God. Why? Because they can't lay anything to their charge. They cannot convince them of sin, first and foremost. Why? Because the elect follow the law. They're out of luck there. And even if they do in the ways of the world, even if they deliver them to man's courts, for example, and they're drug out before a man's judge, the true elect understand that that man judge can make no decision unless it be the will of Yahweh God. That's what Jesus Christ told Pilate. Man has no power down here on earth. But at the same time, they think they do. And we see in a military, we see in the job sector, we see everywhere a hierarchy, titles, and uniforms. People say, oh, I've got 20 people working under me, as if that actually means something. It really doesn't, dear kinsfolk. It's not impressive. If you've got 20 people working under you to glorify the name of Jesus Christ, then maybe we'll talk. And so who judges God's elect? It says right there in verse 33. It is God that justifieth. Verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that Christ is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us? Who is he that condemneth? Nobody. Oh, they can try. They can bear false witness all they want. But it doesn't work. Why? Because Christ died for his bride. His bride are the same exact people, the sealed, the called, according to his purpose. So nothing the world, the carnal man, the devil, or his children can do to you will truly stand. How can I say that next verse? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Question. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Now... I've covered in other sermons that what happens to the natural man is they're swept away. For example, the foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. What happens in times of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Well, his house is swept away. But not so with the righteous man. The righteous man builds his foundation upon the rock. And that's why this question is answered. Next verse. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So once again we see another reference of people being sheep. And this goes all the way back to Psalms. Psalms 44, 22. And we'll cover that in just a second. But we're going to finish the chapter here in Romans 8 first. For it's written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But 
Notice that Paul, in addition to quoting the psalmist, adds the next part. Verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's Paul saying? Nothing can separate you from God's love. Man can do what they want. They can murder you. They can put you in jail. They can bear false witness against you. They can attack your home, your ministry, and so forth. But none of the devices of the wicked will stand. Why? Because Yahweh God is our intercessor. Jesus Christ will stand and defend his own. Now, I said I wanted to cover the 44th Psalm, so turn there now. And by doing so, we'll be able to unlock certain keys that will shed more light on what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 8. So I'll be reading in the 20th verse of Psalm 44. It says this, If we have forgotten the name of our God, or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God, that is Yahweh, search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. What is Paul saying? What's that secret little code he just gave you in that entire chapter of Romans chapter 8 we just covered? By reading Psalms 44, we see that Israel turned away from their God. They started serving other gods, and because they turned their face from knowing God, they were counted as sheep. They were killed all the day long. They became proverbial meat for the beast of the field, if you will. But he ends Psalm 44 by saying, Awake, send a Redeemer, come save us. Who is that? was Jesus Christ. And once again, it goes back to the aspect of Jesus Christ is God. I don't know how many more times I can say it, but by reading both Psalm 44 and Romans chapter 8 and Psalm 70 as we began today's study, I hope and pray that it shed more light in your Christian walk. Not as to what happens in judgment. Not into the mindset of God and how He feels for the wicked, but more so into the mindset of how much he loves his sons, his children. He loves his sons like any father would. And so, love him back. Seek his face in all things. And with that being established, dear kinsfolk, please swing by the Covenant People's Ministry website and sign up for an account. If you desire, send your emails or your questions to me, and I'll answer them in due time. Look for future releases coming from Covenant People's Ministry. And pray for this church, dear kinsfolk. I solicit your prayers. That's all I've ever asked of my flock. So until next time, once again, dear kinsfolk, this is Pastor Visser wishing you and yours great studies. War for Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. 
We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.